Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Speak to us afresh, open our hearts to receive what it is you want to say to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Phil. Thanks, Rabbi. Good. Good to be together. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, and bless you for coming out on such a lovely day. I'm sure you're looking forward to a few hours in the sun this afternoon. Get your sun cream on, don't forget. You've got a bit of thatch, you're not too bad, but I don't. But um, <clears throat> it's, it, it's, it's great. Uh, our 9.30s online, this one's not, so it's just you in the house. And uh, if you're in the overflow there as well, um, it does look, again, I said this, last couple of weeks, it looks like we're slipping down the other side, the better side of all of this virus and masks and stuff, so maybe within the next short while we'll be able to get a little bit closer contact. Some of you are dreading that, I know, but um, others are quite excited about it, but actually just being able to sit normally and not to wear masks and stuff like that. Steve and I have been chatting over the last little while about um, the summer and what July and August, what to do over the July and August period. Um, and maybe getting to hear some other people's stories and stuff like that. But we have five weeks to that. And we were praying about this and thought, what about doing something called the greatest story? What about doing a little bit of a context around the gospel? What the gospel truly is? Tell the story again. Tell the old, old story. The best and greatest story ever told to help us maybe as believers to encourage us in our faith, to incite us to gossip the gospel and to tell others. And so over the next five weeks, I'm going to look at the power of the gospel today, and then we're going to look at the unshakable confidence that we can have in that gospel, and then what you can expect as a, as a partaker of it, and then the highways and byways mentality of going out into the highways and byways and telling our neighbors and our friends, and then divine invitation, because that's what it's all about. And so each of the series, each of the sermons will have an evangelical thrust, obviously, and the big challenge for you as the church is um, to invite. Now, I know we can't house everybody, but the beautiful thing that we have, we have the advantage of people watching from home, but just encouraging someone just to click online and the beauty of it, um, while it's live at 9.30, you can again watch it at any time of the day. And so even after this service, just encouraging someone saying, look, I'd really love you to watch this. And at the end, there's a couple of numbers to come up where people can respond and we're quite excited about that. Now, for those of you who don't feel that you maybe accomplished very much this week, that maybe it was one of those mundane weeks that you sort of just go through the processes of life, which sometimes we do, let me remind you that we are on a globe. We are living on a ball. The world is not flat. The world is round. And um, I I don't know if you know this or not, but it spins at a thousand miles per hour. So the world as we are here right now is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And I didn't see any of you coggling in quite dizzy. Interesting, isn't it? How God can do this, keep us on a ball that's spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And each day, each day that we, um, as it spins at a thousand miles an hour, it travels at 67,000 miles per hour. So while it spins at a thousand miles an hour, it travels at 67,000 miles per hour. 
powerful, isn't it? So if you didn't think you did much yesterday, you actually traveled 1,608 million miles yesterday. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Now, the God who did that, the God who invented a system like that, invented a gospel. The God who invented a world like this, I, I'm reading this book at the minute, which I'm finding all these facts in, that I'm really loving, and I'm a facts and figures sort of person, so I love this. And Edwin Hubble, you've heard of the Space Hubble. Edwin Hubble actually invented the Space Hubble in 1925, and because up until then, people thought there was just the galaxy that we have, that we can see, just our Milky Way, which, which just happens to be, and I quote, um, 93 billion light years in diameter. Say it again. The one that we can see, the one that we can see is 93 billion light years in, in diameter. And when they put this Hubble up, when they put this space Hubble up, they discovered that, um, let me get this right now, that there were an estimated 200 billion galaxies that we didn't know about. <laughs> 200 billion and they reckon now, with the further advancement of this, that it's probably about 20 times short of the truth. So this is God. This is the God that we are serving. This is the God that, that created that. So when God said, let there be light, the power of those four words, the power of those four words that burst into existence, that probably is still expanding as we sit here today. And so this is the God who masterminded the gospel. This is the God who before ever there was sin, there was a savior. This was the God who Revelation tells us that before anything ever happened, before the world was formed, a plan was made. And the, the power of the gospel is a powerful thing. And so I want to encourage you today and I want to encourage you. And the big question that maybe we need to ask at the start of this series is, do we still believe that the gospel is effective? Do we still believe the gospel is as effective as it once was, or is it less effective? Or is it, um, is it not effective at all anymore? Is there something more we can do? And the un honest answer to that inside yourself, because you could answer it quickly and say, oh, of course I do, but do we really? Do we really? Like, for instance, if we were to share our faith tomorrow with a friend at work or with a colleague or a, a, someone at our school at our university, do we believe that that story, that gospel that we share with them could change their life forever? Do we actually believe that? So let's be realistic, because the the... The world we live in is changing. There's all of this stuff coming at it. There's culture and all of the um, faiths and different religions. And so whenever I was a boy, I grew up in the Brethren, and, and whenever, I, whenever I was growing up, we used to put up a little portable hall, and the Brethren preachers would have put up a little portable hall, and we went there for maybe 20 weeks every single night. Your kids would hate you for that, wouldn't they? But every single night, we, we, we did Monday, Saturday was your only night off. It was like heaven's day. And um, so on Sunday, we had a Sunday morning meeting. We had a Sunday school in the afternoon. We went to a gospel meeting at five o'clock. And then we went to a little portable hall, usually eight to nine at night. And that was every Sunday. And then Monday to Friday was every night, eight o'clock. And the Preachers would preach. And the thing about that then, people would get saved. Loads of people would get saved. Because the thing about it was, back then, that's um, a long, long time ago now, 50 years ago plus. And so um, pe people were at the cross. So people were living, uh, were, we were living in a, in a 
pretty God-fearing country, I imagine, and so people weren't that distant from the cross. And so what happened, they would come into those little portable halls, and it would just be a step over, making them make that step of faith, repenting of their sins and deciding for Jesus. The problem is now, people are so far removed from the cross. Culture has taken people a million miles from the cross to tell, you start to tell people, you know, that sin entered at the fall, they'll say, the fall, who fell? You know, because this is language that we sort of get familiar with, and we realize now that people, loads of people, aren't familiar with that kind of language. So we need to be really careful how we tell the story without diluting it. And the thing about evangelism is evangelism is bringing people one step closer to the cross. So you've got all of these walls of culture, you've got different religions, you've got different languages, all of these ditches and walls have to be crossed before we actually get people to the place actually to make the decision. And so it's really, really important. And um, uh, uh, the thing about this is when we turn to Paul's letter to the church at Rome, we find that actually Paul is writing to a, a, a a place there where culture was very different. Actually, it was as hostile then as it was now. And he wrote this in AD 57, and we see that culture wars were going on. And this letter that Paul would write to the church at Rome would be the most theological, systematic letter that he would write out of his all 13 writings. This would be the systematic power of the gospel. And in Romans, you should read it again, because in, in the book of Romans, you have the power of the gospel. The word God, the name God, is mentioned one in every 46 words. It's mentioned 153, 155 times in the 16 chapters of the book of Romans. I've just started to read the Bible through in the old Biblica um, system where it's not, there's no chapters and verses because what happened was 1300s actually, the, the, the Bible was, wasn't in chapters and verses to 1300s and actually in 1300 the, the, the chapters entered and then in 1600, believe it or not, after the Reformation and all of that that would go on, um, they invented verses and Philip Yancey says that chapter and verses just um, diluted the Bible to Bible McNuggets. I think there's a wee bit of truth in that because the Bible was written as a story to be told. And so I, um, there's an organization called Immerse that I've um, just um, got in touch with. And they have, after 20 years of process and study, and they've put the Bible back into its original format where you can read it like in the scroll form without the chapters and verses. And I've just started that journey and I'm really looking forward to it. And so the book of Romans is a powerful, powerful book. And the book of Romans, as I say, is a book all about God. And Romans reveals the answers to many, many questions like the answer to salvation, to sovereignty of God, to judgment, to spiritual growth, to righteousness of God, which is um, the main focus of the book. Um, and this is threaded through every section of the book, sort of the, the righteousness of God. So if you, if you wanted to break it down, the first eight chapters of Romans is all about the fundamentals and the foundations of the church um, of the Christian faith, really. And then verse chapters 9 to 11 is all about the sovereignty over salvation. Yes, where you've got Romans 10 and 9, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And then um, chapters 12 to 16, you've got this how to live a holy life. If you want to know how to live a holy life, 
read the last four chapters of Romans, and it will tell you how to do that. So what we're going to do, I'm going to read the first seven verses, and then another one verse. It's going to be on the screen, or you can look it up in your app, or whatever version you want to read it. But um, let's go with this, and let's read um, the first seven verses of Romans 1. It says, Paul a slave of Christ Jesus, called to an apostle, to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Do you see that? That's important at the line, the gospel of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ and to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he jumps to verse 16 and he says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, see, the gospel of God, for it, that gospel, it has the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also um, to the Gentiles or to the Greek. Now, the, the book of Romans outlines for us what the Apostle Paul calls the gospel of God. That's really important. This gospel is not simply about God, which would be full in itself. This gospel belongs to God. This is God's gospel. The gospel is God's design. It's not the product of Paul's um, smartness or knowledge or any other apostle or any of the old prophets. God alone is the author and he's the goal of the gospel. And this same God who spoke the world into existence that we talked about there by a word of his power is at work for the salvation of his people through the gospel. And Paul says God has composed this message. God alone has called him as an apostle and his followers to proclaim this message. And if it is understood that the gospel is God's invention and his alone, the first thing that we need to understand is that we, whatever else we do with this gospel, we never, ever, ever, ever are allowed to mess with it. We can't mess with it. When Martin Luther preached his last sermon um, in, in February 1546, just a few days before he died, he mentioned that everybody wants God to be their student because everybody wants to improve in the gospel that he has declared possessed and owned by God. And I think that's true. And I think it's true of every generation of, of, through the church. There's been those who are simply not satisfied with God's gospel, and they would prefer to give us another gospel. And Paul wrote to such a church in Galatia, and if you read Galatians, you'll know that he schools the life out of them. And when he comes to verse 1 in chapter 3, he calls them foolish and bewitched. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you in that you would actually try to figure out and believe what he called was another gospel? And then that's what had happened. And then, as if the Holy Spirit is underpinning Paul's comments, which he was at that point, he corrects himself and he says, there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel. There's nothing. And then he warns anybody that preaches another gospel that he says, let him be anathema. That's the Greek word, anathema. And it means cursed. It actually means worse than that. It means damned. Let him be damned. That's what Paul says to the church in Galatia. Now, I'm sure there's many reasons that would motivate people to try to change or alter the gospel a little bit because we might perceive that the gospel is maybe not the best news or, or maybe it's a little bit harsh. 
um, and we try to make it better. Maybe that's what motivates us. Maybe it's shame. Maybe we are ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's what Paul is challenging the church at Rome here, because obviously some of them were ashamed of it, and maybe we see it as a, a little bit of a stumbling block, and so we give people sort of a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down, and we try to alter it a little bit and make it softer. But Paul's saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. I'm not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So we seek methods and programs, hoping that we'll be able to find where the real power to transform the lives of our people comes from. But through the centuries, people have messed with the gospel to find a, almost a better tool to transform lives. But when we look at the concept of the gospel that we have and whose it is, it belongs to God, we know where the power comes from, the power comes from God, then we have to ask, what is the gospel? Well, the word gospel just means good news or a good message. It actually means a little bit more than that. It means like too good to be true news. Too good to be true news. And this is what this gospel is. And in the gospel, the good news is about the kingdom of God. When Jesus begins his public ministry, he borrowed a phrase from his cousin John the Baptist. And it simply was this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was their message. That was their gospel message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus, he preaches and he focuses his preaching and teaching on the gospel of the kingdom. And frequently he uses parables and other devices that says the gospel or the kingdom of God is like this or like that. And he gives all kinds of parables and illustrations that we might understand the content of the gospel. But he's always bringing it back to this is what it is. It's about the kingdom of God. And so if there was a strand that would <clears throat> tie the Old Testament and the New Testament together, it would be this single message that the coming and future promise of the kingdom of God is, is its earthly manifestation, that the kingdom was coming down from heaven. And both John the Baptist and Jesus declared that repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Actually, when John the Baptist was declaring that he was saying, we're on the very edge of history. This is a profound time of urgency. Repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. The axe is at the root of the tree. The king is coming with the fan in his hand. It's coming. There's an immediate urgency and announcement that the kingdom's about to break into our time and space, and we are not ready for it. That's what John the Baptist was declaring. And so when Jesus came, he, 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 he tells us that we need to respond to this gospel. We need to respond to it, and we respond to it by repentance. Now, the word for repentance in the New Testament is the Greek word metanoia. And metanoia means that my mind used to work this way, but now it works this way. It's a complete change of direction. It's a complete, it's not just turning over a new leaf. It's not just stopping the profanities, which our generation is well known for, all of which is a good idea. But it's saying, I used to act in this fashion, and now I'm going to change my mind, and I'm going to change my ways. That's what repentance is. And therefore, to understand repentance, it has to, it's an act of resolve that makes us act in a different way. That's basically what it's saying. And when we study the concept of repentance, here's the truth, both in the Old and in the New Testament, we see that while there must be a resolve to change, and there is a turning over of a new leaf, and there is a 
putting off those old profanities and all of that. That's really important. But, but there was something more than that. There was a heartfelt, godly sorrow for how we behaved yesterday and the day before. And so when we hear John coming and saying, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand, and then we hear Jesus coming and echoing those words, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he's calling us not simply to seek a ticket out of hell, and a ticket into heaven. He's, he's not calling us to repent or to, to, to get out of the, the wrath of God which is to come. Uh, and he's not trying to promote a repentance by fear and punishment. But godly repentance begins in the heart and in the soul with an awakening to the severity of the way in which we have offended a holy God. That's what repentance is all about. You actually begin to say, oh, what the way I've been acting has actually offended God. And when we offend God, then we begin to hurt because of that. That's what true repentance is. So when David in the Old Testament said, he, he, he's pouring out his soul to God, he said, God, if you'd have desired sacrifices, I would have given them to you. I'd have sacrificed anything you wanted. But the sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite heart. Do you ever do something wrong? And there's a sorrow inside. You know you've let God down and there's a sorrow inside. That's repentance. That's what that is. That's that sorrow inside. And the gospel is clearly defined message. It's about Jesus who was born according to the scriptures, who lived a sinless life and died an atoning death on the cross. And for our righteousness, God raised him from the dead and carried him to glory to heaven for his coronation as our king and for his installation as our great high priest. And that's what he is right now. He ministers for us every single day and he will come again at the end of history, which seems to be closing in really fast to bring the fullness of his kingdom, which has already begun, which started 2,000 years ago, but will not be completely manifested and consummated until his return. That's the gospel story. How could you possibly improve in that gospel? How could you improve a gospel like that? If ever there was a fool's errand, if ever there was something stupid to do, it was an errand that people chase when they think they can come up with a better gospel. And that's why I just think it's important for us to renew the facts of the power of the gospel. It's the gospel of God. He composed it. He commanded it for us, for our people and for our children and our children's children. What a God. That's why it's so important. And what you believe really matters. What you believe really matters. You know why? Because what you believe will determine your eternal destiny. And what you believe will dictate how you behave. And how you behave determines what you become. And right now you're a byproduct of what you believe. Whether you think it or not, you are. Your marriage, your kids, your work ethic. All of that is centered around what you actually truly believe. And so... Um, the, the fact is that we are living in a, in a desperate, needy day. Unemployment, depression, the economic system, political, man, dear, you don't need me to tell you this, spiritually, socially, every other way. I, people are just crying out. There's a cry from the world today that I'm hurting. That's the cry. And there are millions of people that are looking for answers out there. And we have the one true answer, and his name is Jesus. And we're too shy to ask people. We're too shy to say to people about this glorious gospel. And added to that in our day, we have a social network of millions of, millions of opinions at the touch of a button. Like we've got Facebook and Twitter and podcasts and uh, there and uh, myriads other and God channels galore. Don't get me started on those and a myriad of websites. And here's the fact of it: there is a lot of funny doctrine out there. 
There's a lot of weird stuff and the watering down of absolute truth and sound doctrine. Many people are hurting. They're looking for answers. And God only knows how many wrong answers are out there. I get these all the time. Emails. Somebody sends me a YouTube video. YouTube. You can find whatever you want on YouTube. You can get YouTube to, to agree with you. If you've walked about in your head, you can get YouTube to agree. And it's just... and. And don't let someone else form an opinion for your eternal destiny. Stop, get into the book, start judging this by the word of God. Stop listening to YouTube because it'll tell you whatever you want to hear. There are a million voices out there. There's loads of people that are very passionate about what they believe, whether it's right or wrong. And every time your heart beats, someone in the world dies without Christ. And that's why we've got to understand the power of the gospel. Now, I've showed you some of these characters before, but you should Google some of these guys to see. This guy here was a guy called James Arthur Ray. And he was a preacher. He was a preacher and a pastor. And he, did, he was a self-help author. So he did this spiritual warrior seminar on holistic cleansing. So he decided that it wasn't just about getting your soul saved. It was about getting your body. And so, so what he did was he invited you to Cap Verde, Arizona, and you got to hang out in a sweat tent while he did his preach. The problem was three people died and 18 people got severely damaged and were hospitalized and he got charged with murder. Now, these were, these were really genuine people. Jim Jones, back in the 70s, Jim Jones started a church called um, People's Temple. People's Temple and in, in California. And loads of people started to follow him. He was a cult leader and um, faith healer, preacher, dynamic personality. He, he, he persuaded about a thousand of them to follow him to... South Africa, where he set up a camp in South Africa. And, and four of his members tried to leave, and he had them all shot dead. And when that happened, the police raided um, the church grounds, and he persuaded 918 of them to drink poison. 918 of them, 304 who were kids. And so when the police stormed into the building, 918 people were lying dead and Jim Jones put a gun to his head and launched himself out into eternity. The, these, these were genuine people who just bought into a lie. This guy here, his photograph freaks, freaks me out a little bit, but this guy's called Marshall Applewhite. He started a church called, um, let, let me get it right, he started a church called Heaven's Gates and he was absolutely obsessed with aliens and he predicted that there was going to be an alien invasion. And so, I'm not, I'm not making fun. These were genuine people that didn't get a chance to hear the truth like you and I did. And these people put on jumpsuits, waiting for the spaceship to come, poisoned themselves, and when they stormed the building, 39 of them were lying dead, and the spaceship never came. Simple, folks. It's all about Jesus and what you believe about him, the power of the gospel. And this is, like, this is going back into 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and it's just, it's just got more and more rampant and more and more accessible, and people can just buy into a lie like that because people are looking for answers. And the thing is, we have got the answer. We have got the answer, and his answer is Jesus. And one of the best verses in the Bible is this one. You probably all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
And here's the thing about that. There's five components in that that's really important about what you believe. What you believe about God, what you believe about mankind, what you believe about Jesus, what you believe about faith, and what you believe about eternity. And when you answer this question, it determines where you will spend eternity because let's face it, there's only two choices. There's heaven or there's hell. There's no in-between. There's no other ground. And so it's either heaven with the redeemed or hell with the lost. And the Bible actually tells us that hell was never meant for mankind. Hell was created for the devil and his angels, never for mankind. And that's why the power of the gospel is so, so important. Now, our time's gone. Um, on the screen, there are two mobile numbers. We're putting these up at the end of each service. And these phones are our two church mobiles, and they're manned personally um, after every service. And so what we're doing over the next five weeks, we're promoting these two numbers that people, so the 9.30 service, which is online, people can phone in to either of these two numbers and ask for help and um, ask us to point them to Jesus, basically. Because that's what we need to do. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, um, I, I love the story of John Wimber. John Wimber was a guy who um, pioneered the vineyard movement. He was an incredible guy, but um, he was, uh, his life was, his path to faith was full of twists and turns. Um, but um, when, when he was in his 20s, he went to uh, Los Angeles to borrow money from his drug dealer. And he tells a story that he was total anti-God, total anti-God. And when he was in Los Angeles trying to seek out a drug dealer to borrow money to buy more drugs, he, um, he sees this guy with a sandwich board. And um, on the front of the sandwich board, it said, I'm a fool for Christ. And on the back, when the guy walked past him, on the back of the sandwich board, it says, whose fool are you? Now, um, our modern advertising is a wonderful thing. They advertise because people buy quickly. So it's a spur of the moment. That's why you need to close a sale. So you see something, boom, you get it. Amazon, amazing, isn't it? That's the power of advertising. But there's a thing that psychologists can't actually really work out. They've tried over the years, and it's called the sleeper effect. And psychologists say that the sleeper effect is something that drops into your mind that could lie dormant for years and then pop up. They don't really know. They can't really find a name for it other than that name, the sleeper effect. And John Wimber tells a story that years and years after that, he was sitting in a meeting with his wife, and um, his wife started to get emotional and started to really weep and confess her sin and openly. And he's sitting beside her thinking, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I am never going to do that. And just at that moment, the thought came into his heart. I'm a fool for God. Who's fool are you? And he said, in two minutes, he was sitting blubbering beside his wife, confessing his sin, repenting of his sin, inviting Jesus into his life. And it might be something in your life that you've heard or something in a neighbor's life that, that just stuck there or something. And we all have it. You know what? You can go back to something in your childhood. You can't remember what happened yesterday, but you can go back to something in your childhood, just something, boom, I remember that. That is so powerful. I can go back. I can go back a long, long time, 50 um, plus 55, 56 years to being a boy, sitting at the end of my mum's table. And I remember my old mentor friend who's at home with the Lord many, many years now, 
reading the story of the Philippian jailer to me in Acts 16. And that verse, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Just boom, hit me like a bolt out of heaven. Friday afternoon, as a boy, wept, confessed my sin. Didn't think back then there were that many, but I was a sinner. Repented of that sin. Asked Jesus into my life. Let's pray. The challenge is, church, the challenge is, church, we've got the story. We've got the power of the gospel. It's not ours, it's God's. Let God do the work. Stop trying to analyze it. Stop, stop trying to dilute it. Stop trying to give the spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down and just give it like it is. Just say, repent and be saved. This is what Jesus said, repent and be saved. Repent and be saved. Get, get some of those verses, Romans 10 and 9, Acts 16, 31, John 3, 16. Get them into your memory. Just quote the Bible. Quote the, let the Bible, let the word of God do what it does. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will cut and it'll divide. It'll do its work. Stop trying to do it for it. So God, I pray that you would move in our over the next five weeks, we just live in with an expectancy to see our friends come to Jesus, to see our neighbors come to Jesus. If you're in this room right now and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe it's time to pray a prayer. And the prayer is not what saves you. It's the decision of the heart that saves you. The prayer is just the tool. It's, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me, God. I know, uh, I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Jesus, I now ask you into my life as my Savior. I want to follow you from this day forward. I want to put my trust in you, and I surrender my life to you. Please come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. That's just a simple prayer that God would respond to. So, Father, we thank you that the, what a great gospel it is. We know that you've said in Psalm 130, if you would mark our iniquities, who would stand? And we know the answer to that question because none of us could possibly stand by your judgment. But for us uh, and for our salvation, you sent your only son, Jesus. And through him, whom you are well pleased with, through him we can be reconciled to you and be saved now and forever. God, would you raise us up as Christians who believe your gospel, who know your gospel, and who take assurance in the power of that gospel and forgive us for ever imagining for a second that we could ever improve on it or dare dilute it because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.